me this morning as we sing this great song. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Sing it to him this morning. Invite him to be with us. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who o'er all things so wondrously reigned. Shelters thee. God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be, cause he opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God he holds the victory, there's joy in the house of the Lord, 
There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Cause we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the sin, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. But we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today in worship. We're glad that you're here. If you would do us a favor, there's a care card located there in the pew rack just in front of you. If you're a guest of ours, we ask you to please fill that in completely. If there's information on the back that you'd like to request, just check those boxes and then place that, well, place that in one of the giving boxes on either side of the double door as you leave this morning. And also on the back of the care card for all of us is a place to fill in any prayer requests. And we would love to hear from you as our church family to know what you're dealing with and be praying for you for you we do get those and take time out of the week to pray for you in those items you can also place those in the giving box as you leave uh, this morning but thank you again for being with us today in worship next sunday will be uh, operation christmas child collection sunday so bring your shoe boxes next week and 
That will kick off our collection week. We do still need volunteers during the week, so go by and sign up at the table in the foyer. Uh, we need some strong backs and good counters on Monday the 20th to load all of those boxes being a regional uh, location. We will have a lot of boxes that day. Last year, I think we were close to four tractor trailer containers full. And so if you can come help us on Monday the 20th with that, we would greatly appreciate it. We will have a church-wide Thanksgiving dinner on Sunday, November 19th. Dinner will start at 5 p.m. in the core, or you can just come to the service uh, that begins at 6 p.m. where we'll be observing the Lord's Supper and have a time of testimonies. Meal tickets are $10 each. Uh, you can begin purchasing those at the information desk. And children 12 and under can purchase a child's plate for $5, which is chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, green beans, and dessert. And so uh, get signed up to come and be a part of that Sunday night. That's always a special time for our church. We're excited about our second quarter of community groups that's coming up in December. As a church, we'll be studying a curriculum entitled Master Life Together. Uh, what are the expectations and responsibilities of a follower of Christ and a local church member? What are those expectations? Student books are not required, but they're highly recommended. We are subsidizing the cost of the shipping and the book uh, so that the books are $10 and be, will be available beginning next week. Uh, there, there may be some that are not currently in a community group, but would like to participate, please get a book. Five of the days, there's a five-day devotion each week for those 12 weeks of devotional study. And so uh, we would even be willing to start some new groups if you're not in a community group, but you say, I would like to be a part of that. Uh, there may be enough to start a new group. So come uh, and be a part of that. That begins on December the 3rd. Our Grief Share Ministry will be offering a special seminar called Surviving the Holidays. Uh, this is uh, such a difficult time for those that have lost someone, and so many people are struggling with this issue. You can sign up at the table in the lobby. It is Tuesday, November 14th from 6.30 to 8.30, and the cost is $5. Please go by and, and sign up for that. If you know of somebody also that's dealing with this, let them know about that. One of our missionaries, Jeanette Sullivan, is with us today. She's the daughter of Jerry and Jean Sullivan. Jeanette, are you back there in your normal spot? Can you wave at oh, Back over here. Um, let's be praying for her. She leaves next Friday, and so you remember her in your prayers. Uh, also, the sign language ASL class is going to be meeting first and third Sundays from 4 to 5 down in E14, and that's today. If you'd like to come from 4 to 5, uh, Carmen and my mom, uh, Joyce, will be leading that class, so come and be a part of that. And uh, before we pray, I just want to mention also that Linda Strickland's uh, sister who lived in Winston-Salem did pass away, so let's remember uh, that family. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow with me? Let's just ask God to bless our time today. God, we thank you that we have the privilege to just speak uh, to you, God, and you tell us that you hear us, that you hear our prayers. And God, we come before you this morning um, with some requests on our hearts. We pray for Linda and her family. God, as they're dealing with the passing of her sister, we pray you'd be with them. And we pray that uh, as she, uh, ha they have her funeral, God, that, that the right people would be there to, to share the gospel. And that maybe even uh, would be there to hear that and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And God, we also pray for Jeanette uh, Sullivan, who's with us this morning, as she goes back to her field, God, on Friday. We pray you'd be with her and 
God, just give her many opportunities to, to have God appointments, to, to share the gospel with those that are around her. God, be with her in her travels and in her country, God, where things can uh, have some tension. We pray you'd be with her and watch over her and keep her safe, God. I know the uh, Sullivans uh, miss her, and I pray that you'd be with them too, but know that she is serving you, and we, we are thankful for that. God, we pray for this service today, uh, the message that you've given to our pastor, God, that it would speak to our hearts. God, the other needs that are represented in this room as we lift those before you silently right now, God, be with each one of those. God, be with the, the worship as we sing together, as we uh, have time of corporate worship, God, that we would lift up your praise in your name, God, in that. Give us a great day today. Thank you for all you do for us and all of God's people said. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other found i know nothing but the blood of jesus for my pardon I see nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood, 
Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing no turning back. I've been set free. Heaven is our home. Through every storm, my soul will sing, Jesus is here. To God be the glory. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back, Christ is enough for Everything I need is in you. Hey. 
no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, looking this morning at the subject matter, an abridged biography of the entire human race. Uh, before we get into the message, let me uh, comment on really the, uh, the motivation for the message, and it plays off of something Kevin said earlier. Uh, beginning next month in Sunday school, we will be going through a, a book together, as he mentioned, Mastering Life Together. And uh, it is a series that deals with our relationship with God, our relationship with our inner self, that is dealing with things in our hearts and minds that we need to, to deal with to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then it'll deal in the third unit with our relationship to one another and then our relationship to the world. And, and it's really a series that emphasizes that as a body of believers, as the body of Christ, uh, we are to be taking that next step to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, we need to be taking that next step. And this is a series that hopefully will help us all to do that. And uh, you'll be studying five days on your own of what's in this book. And then coming to Sunday school and then there'll be a lesson pertaining to that week. And then in the message time in the service, I'll also be addressing that. And so we'll deal with it on three levels. Individual, small group, and then worship time uh, together. And again, it, it simply deals with our Christian growth and understanding that as a corporate body of believers, we are also uh, to be growing together on mission with God in the world. So we do encourage you uh, to be a part of this. And we've said you don't have to have a book, but if you don't have a book, you're obviously going to miss a key component of it. And that is the five days of lessons that you'll have on your own in your private devotion and I do think if you miss that you're gonna miss something hugely valuable so we do want to encourage you to get a book but let's look at a, 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 a scripture passage this morning which really addresses that wherever we are in our relationship with Christ we really do need to move beyond that to, to the next stage let's stand together and read beginning in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and I'm going to pick up reading down in verse 14, and then we're going to read over into chapter 3, uh, at least as far as verse 9. Okay? There in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, uh, 2, 14, Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Father, I pray that we would heed the words that you give us in Scripture. I think of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, that we need to seek the Lord while he may be found. And to call upon him while he is near. And Lord, perhaps there's someone here this morning who desperately needs to do that with a great sense of urgency. Lord, as believers in this place, we need to do what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18 and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Wherever we are in our Christian journey, you have a word for us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you, God, that we don't live the Christian life alone. We have the presence of, of Jesus through your Spirit. We have one another in the body of Christ, and we're to encourage one another and pray for one another. And as Hebrews 10 says, we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the people you've called us to be in this late hour. And we'll stand before you one day and hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Use this time for your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On a May afternoon in 1943, an army Air Force bomber crashed into the Pacific Ocean and disappeared. Leaving only small bits of debris and a slick of oil and gasoline and blood. And then on the ocean surface a face appeared. It was that of a young lieutenant 
the plane's bombardier who was struggling to a life raft and pulling himself aboard. And so began one of the most extraordinary odysseys of World War II. The lieutenant's name was Louis Zamperini. In boyhood, he had been cunning. He had been, by his own words, a delinquent who broke into houses. He was a fighter, a brawler, and finally fled his home to ride the rails across America. As a teenager, he had channeled his defiance into running and found himself to be quite talented at that. A talent that carried him all the way to the Berlin Olympics and within sight of reaching the four-minute mile. But when the war had come, the athlete had become an airman, embarking on a journey that led to his doomed flight. And this day when he was on a tiny raft and he was adrift into the unknown. Ahead of Zamperini lay thousands of miles of open ocean, sharks, a floundering raft, thirst, starvation, enemy aircraft, and beyond, a trial even greater that he didn't see yet. When he would be imprisoned and tortured and beaten in a Japanese in prison camp, tortured especially by a guard came to be known simply as the bird. And there in that prison, he was driven to limits of endurance. He suffered with hope, with resolve, even sometimes with humor. Went through brutality. His fate, whether triumph or tragedy, would be suspended on the fraying wire of his will. Now most of you know this short summary of his biography, his book, Unbroken. If you've never had a chance to read Louis Zamperini's biography, Unbroken, I would challenge you to do so. It is a wonderful book that describes all of these events in detail. And then when Louis Zamperini came to faith in Christ at a Billy Graham crusade uh, in Los Angeles. Again, the name of the book, Unbroken. Now folks, what we have in our passage today is likewise a biography, if you will. A biography of what we could even say is the entire human race. Now, I want to be clear on that. Paul is not writing here of the entire human race. Paul is writing to a specific church the Corinthians and everything the Corinthians have been going through and so he is addressing their needs as the body of Christ there at Corinth but from what he says to them we know we can apply to each and every one of us because we go through many of the same experiences in life And so in a sense you could say he's given a brief, uh, an abridged biography of the entire human race. And we'll see in a moment how he classifies people. 
You know, we classify people all the time. We make characterizations based on looks. We might say that somebody is overweight or they're skinny or ugly or pretty. We, we might make classifications based on wealth. Somebody is rich or poor or middle class. Uh, we make characteristics, uh, characterizations based on work. Somebody is blue collar or white collar. On race, they're black, white, Asian, Indian. We make characterizations based on politics. Somebody's Democrat, Republican, Independent. On and on we can go with the ways we characterize people. But I want you to notice today that spiritually speaking, there are basically only three classifications or three ways we can look at people. And the whole human race falls into these categories. And so what's being said here is likewise being said about you and me. First of all, there is the natural man. Who is the natural man that Paul is going to talk about in this passage? The natural man is the lost man. He is still dead in his trespasses and sins. He or she has never come to faith in Christ. And then there's the spiritual man. Who appraises all things, whose mind and heart is set on the things of God. And as I'll mention in a moment, this person is not perfect yet. But nonetheless, this is the person on the right track. And then finally, there is the man in the flesh, the carnal man, who Paul describes here as a believer, but this individual is still immature. Thank God that they're saved. But they desperately need to grow. Because they are thinking too much like the man of this age. The man of the world. Even though they're saved, they're still too cued in on the things of this world and of this age. Now folks, everybody you meet falls into one of these categories. But I do want you to understand something. We're not always very good at determining this. So be very careful about judging people in these areas because we don't see people as God sees them. And we know on the day of judgment there's going to be some surprises. And so my point this morning is not so we will start putting labels on everybody. It is simply so that we'll understand that when we talk about where people are in their spiritual journey, everybody's not at the same place. The world would want to lump everybody together in one big lump. But we're not the same. But here's a passage that makes us think about where we are and where God wants us. His desire, we know, is to conform us to the image of Christ. And so we know that God wants us to grow and to be mature. Now let's think about the context for a minute before we get into the meat of the message. To understand this passage, you and I would really need to go all the way back to chapter 1 because beginning there, Paul has been contrasting the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. The cross of Christ is the only means of salvation 
And it is God's wisdom and God's power at work. Now, as men look at the cross, Paul said to the Corinthians, men don't look at it this way. Men look at it as defeat. But to God, the cross was victory. Because it was his means of reconciling a lost world to himself. And so if the cross expresses the wisdom of God and the power of God, then the preaching of the cross likewise expresses God's wisdom. We know men in the world, they want to debate, they want to philosophize. Get a bunch of people together and throw out a question, you'll see it. It turns into amateur hour of philosophy. That's the wisdom of men. And in chapter 1, Paul says that men will never reach God that way. Because eternal life is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. And you and I are to accept that by faith. We can't boast in our wisdom. We can't boast in the wisdom of others. We can only boast in Christ and what he's done. That's a summary of chapter 1. And then you get into chapter 2 and Paul is telling the Corinthians that when it came to them, he didn't come in human wisdom and excellency of speech. He's making a very logical argument here. Why would he come to them in human wisdom when he's just said that through human wisdom we will not reach God? And so what does Paul say he did? Instead, he came to them preaching Christ, preaching the simple message of the cross, of Christ crucified. Why did he do this? Because Paul wanted their faith resting on Jesus and not on the words of men. And that would get us all the way down to verse 6 of chapter 2 where he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Somebody may conclude that if God saves through the simplicity of the gospel, then somehow or another the gospel must be simplistic. It must be devoid of any kind of wisdom. And to that Paul would say, absolutely not. The simplicity of the gospel is packed with the wisdom of God, a wisdom far greater than any wisdom that men possess. But if you and I are going to understand this, we've got to be the right kind of man, the right kind of woman. We've got to be in tune with what the Lord is about. We've got to be that good soil that has received the seed of the word of God and it is bearing fruit in us. We've got to be that kind of person. Well, let's see how he develops all of this. I want you to see from verses 6 to to 13. uh, The spiritual man. Look again at the spiritual man. He says, uh, yet among the mature, I'm in verse 6 of chapter 2, yet among the mature we, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The spiritual man is the man who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and who is seeking to live his or her life under the lordship of Christ. And he says in verse 6, the spiritual man understands the the wisdom of God. You know, the things of God are a mystery to the world. And he says even even the rulers of this age don't understand that. Because had the rulers of this age understood that, then they would not have done what they did to crucify the Lord of glory. I mean, think about it. There's Pilate. There's the Jewish leaders. They're wise in their own estimation, and they missed it. And there are the people there saying, he saved others, let him come down from the cross and saved himself. They missed it. They all had a veil over their eyes, so to speak. But the spiritual man understands all of this. Why or how? Because as he says in verse 10, God reveals his precious things to the spiritual man. Folks, Christians have the Spirit who reveals and teaches. Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.13, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Every believer, when they come to faith in Christ, they are sealed by God with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit doesn't come later, it comes then. There are many feelings of the Spirit that that come at various times, but, but a person is sealed with the Spirit when they come to believe in Christ. And Jesus said of the Spirit in John 14, He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Jesus went on in that chapter to say, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. And then in chapter 16 of John's Gospel, Jesus said, I've got many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. So the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, the one who is in Christ, who is reconciled to a holy God, is also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He seals us and he also teaches us things that God wants us to know. And so Paul is saying in this passage, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman understands these things. They understand what God is doing in the world. Why? He goes on to point out about this because the spiritual man is discerning. We are to know the mind of God. We are to lean on the spirit of God. The spirit of man knows man. We are flesh and we are spirit. 
and, and soul. We understand what it means when somebody places their finger in a flame and is burned because we've been burned, we're flesh. Likewise, we understand what it is to have a deep emotional hurt way down deep inside because we are spirit and not just flesh. The spirit of man understands these things. In the same way, Paul says, the spirit of God knows God because he's the spirit of God. And the spirit of God that he has given to us at our conversion, he teaches us. He reveals things to us. But it is the Christian, the spiritual man or woman who understands this. The man who is not saved may read the Bible and say it's a hard book. I can't even make any sense of it. I might as well not even read it. I don't know what it's saying. And the reason is because the Bible speaks of things that are spiritually discerned. Paul says in verse 9, I has not seen, he's speaking here of the fleshly eye, the eye of the flesh, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so again, Paul is pointing out here that by means of the flesh, we cannot understand the things of God. But even now as Christians we can see, we can hear, we can know in our hearts the things that God has prepared. We can see glimpses of the consummation of our salvation even though we've not experienced that yet. How is it that we can see glimpses of it even now? Because God has revealed these things through His Spirit. Well, he goes on here, speaking still of the spiritual man, to point out, secondly, the spiritual man judges all things. He speaks of that in verses 16 and 17. Uh, verses 15 and 16, rather. Obviously, the lost man can recognize a Christian's faults and shortcomings, but they're not able to evaluate their true nature as spiritual people who have been transformed into the children of God. But on the other hand, the saved man can now render a true verdict about himself and the world. He's able to judge all things in light of what God has revealed to him. How? Again, because the spiritual man has the mind of Christ. And this is why Paul was so disappointed in the Corinthians in chapter 5. Because they would not judge their brother who was caught up in rampant, debased sexual immorality. And he was unrepentant over it. Paul knew the Corinthians were believers, but by letting that sort of thing go on, they were reasoning like men who didn't have the Spirit. Men who would act like something like that was acceptable when it's not. They were not judging like men having the Spirit who don't allow that sort of thing to go on unchecked in the body of Christ. And so again he's saying here, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman judges all things. And then a third statement he makes uh, about them or that we can deduce from everything he's saying here. This doesn't mean that the spiritual man has arrived at perfection. 
We've all still got a lot of growing to do. But the spiritual man, he's saying, the light switches have been turned on. The spiritual man, the spiritual woman is the one in tune now with God. Why? Because the Spirit has convicted him of his sins, drawn him to faith in Christ. He's sealed with the Spirit. He's been turned on to the things of God. He can understand the things of God now, even if he's still got a lot of growing to do. But at least he's on that same wavelength. It reminds me a lot of what Paul also says of himself in Romans chapter 7. Now I realize there are different interpretations of Romans 7. Not everybody looks at it the same, but, but Paul says there in Romans 7, I'm still struggling. I, I'm not doing the things that I want to do. What I end up doing is the very thing that I hate. And he concludes, oh wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this state that I'm in? And then over in chapter 8, he goes into talking about, in Romans chapter 8, how the Holy Spirit is going to help him conquer all of these things. But I say all this just to emphasize all the wonderful things Paul is saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 2 about the spiritual person doesn't mean that we don't have room to grow because we do. How many times have you said as a Christian, why did I blow it again? Why did I lose my temper? Why did I have road rage? Why have I experienced lust? Why did I want to buy something in the world that I knew I couldn't afford and it would wreck my budget, but I wanted to do it anyway? Why was I so focused on something in the world? On and on we could go with that list, right? How we might do something that we know better, we do it anyway. But yet God gets our attention about it. We can identify with Paul, what Paul is saying. And so my point is, the spiritual man doesn't have everything perfected. He or she is still growing. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. I'm not saying that the spiritual man or woman has arrived. But what I'm saying is, Paul is talking about here, the spiritual man or woman that God's gotten a hold of their heart in Christ, they're on the right track now. They're on the right track and they know they need to be in tune with what God is saying and what God is up to in the world. They don't need to be living like their lost neighbors. They don't need to be living like lost people they know at work, valuing things that the lost person values. Why? Because we are a new creation now in Christ. We're changed. We're different. And so we're to live differently. And we are to think differently. And we know that we're not alone in this process because God is going to help us. His Spirit is going to use His Word to begin changing our thinking as we get into God's word he's changing our thinking and he's using everything in our lives our relationships, our circumstances, our tests, our trials everything to conform us more to the image of Christ it's a growth process but that growth process is nonetheless happening for the man or the woman who's classified as the spiritual man 
Secondly, Paul talks about the natural man. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created the beast of the field and he created the man and the woman. The man and the woman were created in God's image. That set us apart from the animal kingdom. But there's something else that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. Genesis says that God breathed into man a living soul. We were created to have communion with God, fellowship with God. And so in other words, man is more than just flesh. He's more than like the animal kingdom. God breathed into us a living soul. And here's where we see something deeply wrong with the lost man. He was created to be spiritually alive unto God, but because of Adam's sin and our own sin... We are spiritually dead before conversion. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The natural man has potential for communion with God, but he doesn't enjoy communion with God. Why? Because he's spiritually dead. And look at what Paul says about that here in verse 14. He does not receive the things of the Spirit. This person is not open to receiving the things of the Spirit. This person may be like the rich young ruler who knew that he needed to change, but he was unwilling to change. He had such a tight grip on this world and the things of this world that even though those things in the world had not satisfied him as of yet, he was not willing to to part with those things. Or this person who's the natural man just may simply be somebody who has no interest in the things of God whatsoever. Maybe his wife has tried to get him to go to church for years, but he still has no interest. Maybe she bought him a Bible as a gift, hoping that he would read it, and she notices after a year he hasn't even taken it out of the box yet. The natural man might even be somebody who is antagonistic to the things of God. They may even hate the things of God and mock the things of God. And despise anything that has to do with Christ. So the natural man can be like any of those categories. The rich young ruler who knew he needed to make a change, wasn't willing to. The man who is not interested at all. In spiritual things, he's just not even interested. Or it might be somebody even hostile to the gospel. That's the natural man. And again, what is it that Paul says? He does not receive the things of the Spirit. But look at what he goes on to say in verse 14. He cannot receive the things of the Spirit. He cannot. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. He's not even wired for that sort of thing yet. Why? Because he's spiritually dead. It's like a house under construction. You drive by, you see the frame and done. 
It's getting dark outside. The crew is still there. Somebody says, hey, can you walk over into what's going to be the family room and cut on the lights? And somebody says, I can't. Well, why can't you? Well, because the house hadn't even been wired yet. You see, the Bible is clear as to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even with the lost man. In John 16, 8, Jesus said, He, speaking of the Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin. And then in John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless my Father's Spirit draws him. In the lost man where that's not taken place yet and where he's not responded to the Holy Spirit's ministry, he's still dead in his trespasses and sins. And so Paul says he can't receive the things of the, of the Spirit. He doesn't and he can't. Again, why? He's dead in his trespasses and sins. What can dead men and women do? Can you go out to the grave and ask dead men and women to do anything? No. Why? Because they're dead. And that's the natural man who is lost. He is dead. She is dead to the things of God. Then Paul describes a third group of people. The fleshly man or the carnal man. He says... In verse 3, uh, in chapter 3, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not yet, yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know, there were two groups of people Paul had tremendous burdens over. In Romans 9 and Romans 10 also, Paul had a tremendous burden over his Jewish brethren who had not come to faith in Christ yet. Paul said, I weep for them. I weep for them. Because of everything we see God did for the Jewish people in the Old Covenant. To them belong the, the covenants and the law and the prophets. And even the Messiah according to the flesh. And yet to this day their eyes are blinded. There's that veil over their eyes. And Paul went on to say, I would wish myself could be accursed if it would mean that my fellow Jews could be saved. But then there was a second group of people. Likewise, Paul was also deeply burdened over. It was Christians who had been saved. But they were still living like people who were tuned into this age. Christians still living too much like lost people. In chapter 2, Paul described the spiritual man who is mature. 
Again, that's how we're supposed to be. Now he describes the spiritual man who is immature, who's carnal, who's fleshly. This is the Christian who's dictated too much by the desires of the flesh and of the world. What's he say about them? Well, or what can we conclude about them? Carnality can exist on the one hand because a person is a brand new Christian. Now folks, in that case, immaturity is to be expected. We can't expect new Christians. Christians to act like they've been walking with the Lord for 10 or 20 years. We don't expect small children in our household to all of a sudden be the ones earning the living and paying the bills and the taxes. Likewise in spiritual life, we can't expect babes in Christ to be anything really other than babes in Christ. What are we to help them do? We're to help them grow in Christ. We're to help them mature. A second reason carnality can exist, the carnal man or woman, carnality can also happen because a person refuses to grow up. And this was the problem with the Corinthians. And this is what disappointed Paul so much about them. He had been among them for 18 months. And he says as new believers he had fed them milk. That was the proper thing to do. I mean after all you don't take a baby out for ribeye steak and backbone ribs. He had given them milk. But now five years have passed and he says I'm still having to give you milk. And he tells why. Because you're still fleshly. You're still carnal. You should have grown up by now. You've had every opportunity to grow up. You've had every opportunity to be more like Christ and more like who Christ would have you to be. But you won't. You won't grow up. And how does Paul know this? Because he sees evidence of carnality in their lives. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But again, they've been believers for five years. They've sat under Paul's ministry and he's grieved over them. What do you think Paul would say today to some Christians that maybe you've been a Christian 40, 50, 60 years and you're still just a babe in Christ and you've not grown up? What are the evidences of carnality? He goes on to list those out here. First of all, there's envy and they're jealous of one another. They're envious. I want what so-and-so has. And later on in 1 Corinthians, he, he talks about what they're so envious about, spiritual gifts. He points out spiritual gifts aren't determined by men. They're determined by God. God gives each person a spiritual gift as God wants them to have it. And God wants them to use it for the building up of the body. And yet they're jealous with one another over spiritual gifts. And then there's the next thing, because they're jealous, there's strife, they're squabbling with one another at Corinth over petty stuff. In chapter 6, he lowers the boom on them because there were people in the church, they were so divided with strife, they were even taking one another to court and suing one another. 
He says, here you are, the saved, and yet you're taking your squabbles before secular judges and courts who don't have the Spirit of God. Can't you find some spiritually mature judges in the church who can settle your issues? After all, he says, the saints are even going to judge angels one day. Think about that. We're going to judge angels one day. And he says, if everything else fails, wouldn't you just be willing to walk away from, to to take the loss rather than to lose a brother? You just take a loss even though you might be the one right. Wouldn't Wouldn't you agree to do that so you could maintain fellowship with your brother? But again, here, here they are in their strife and division. So immature. All this strife and division there at Corinth. Now let me ask you something. In the modern day church today, you think people ever see this? Strife, division, differences, fighting among the body of Christ? Sure. And again, according to what Paul is saying here, what's that a sign of? That we're still carnal. We're saved men and women, but we can be thinking too much like those in the world. I'm mad because he sat in my seat. Doesn't he know that's my seat? That was my Sunday school room. How dare they move my Sunday school room? They took the chairs out of my room. They took benches out of my room or something. That was my area. That was my area where I wanted to be. How dare they do something? And fight over the dumbest things. Paul says, face the music if that's you. You're carnal. You're of the flesh. You're in Christ, but you're acting like somebody who's not in Christ. And you're condemning yourself by your actions that you're still thinking too much like the lost man. So face the music. Own up to it. Carnality is world-centered thinking, man-centered thinking. And Paul says, stop it. We're to be those who display the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Mere men, the natural man, doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. And mere men never influence anybody for Christ. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians... That's how you're acting. That's how you're living, even though you're saved. You're fleshly. And he's saying, shame on you. He goes on to give the evidence. You're chasing after personalities. Some saying, oh, I'm of Paul. I just love it when Paul comes to town. You know, after all, he's that great theologian of of the apostles and planted our church here. And man, if he's preaching, I'll be at church. Some were saying, oh, I'm of Apollos. You know, I just love it when Paul doesn't show up and Apollos preaches instead. Paul's boring. He's this little unimpressive man with unimpressive speech. Uh, I even heard that one time he preached all night. Somebody named Eutychus fell out of a loft and, and, and was dead. And Paul had the nerve to just keep right on preaching until dawn. Can you believe that? But Apollos, man, he's that silver-tongued orator. Somebody else says, oh, I'm a Peter. You know, Jesus said Peter was the rock. 
I'm, I'm a Peter. Paul says, what in the world are you doing? Do you not realize we're mere men? We're mere women, we could say today, men and women. We got people who will jump in cars and on buses and planes to go hear this speaker or that. They'll hear somebody come, oh, I'm going to be a part. I'm going to chase after that person. I'm gonna, I want to hear them. I want to I do this. But Paul says, what are you doing? It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. One plants, one waters, but it's God that gives the increase and all the glory is to go to God. And Paul says, all of these things that I'm talking about is evidence that you're still too fleshly. You're carnal. I simply want to ask you, what kind of man or woman are you? Let's grow together to be the spiritual men and women Christ has saved us to be. Spiritually discerning, hearts and minds set on the things of God. Growing together as the body of Christ, being salt and light in a dark world. That is God's will for you and me. It is God's will for us. Let me give you some takeaway lessons. Number one, to state the obvious... Everybody is not the same. And this goes for spiritual life as well as physical life. Lesson number two. People who are lost often have no interest in spiritual discussions with you. Don't think that it's because you are simply not interesting enough. But on a side note, let me say this, however. Pay close attention when the lost start asking probing questions about faith of you. That should be a sign to you and me. God's at work in them. A third lesson. God's desire is that each one of his children grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And start making decisions and living life based on that Christian growth. Your Christian growth is God's will. A last lesson, oftentimes Christians grieve the Lord because while they could grow, they simply don't. We could even say they won't. They don't and they won't. While being saved, they continue to make decisions and live life far too similarly to those in the world. This morning you may be lost. I may be speaking to somebody this morning who is the natural man or woman. The wires aren't even connected yet. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know the circumstances. I have no idea the circumstances of why you're here this morning. But we're glad you're here. And you know what? We would say by you being here is an indication God is reaching out to you. God is working. You're here 
to hear about faith in Christ. You need to come to Christ. You need to admit, Lord, I'm lost. I'm lost. And I need your Holy Spirit to do that in me, which I can't do. I need you to save me. What Christ did on the cross, Lord, I I, I want that for me. That he would forgive me of my sins. His blood would cover my unrighteousness and my sin. I want Christ to live his life through me from this day forward. God, would you do that work of conversion in me? And you know what? The pastoral staff will be down front in just a moment to pray with you about this. And maybe that's the desire of some adult in here this morning. I, I, I want Christ. I want to be saved. You may be spiritual. You're saved and you're growing in the Lord. You're not perfect, but you're progressing. I want to thank you for your example. And I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. You're reading your Bible. You're attending church with other believers. You're praying. You're encouraging the saints. Keep on. You may be too much of the flesh. You know you're saved, but your life is not pleasing to the Lord. You're too much focused on the things of the world. I think the appropriate step for you this morning would be to simply recognize that and say, God, help me. Help me. Help me to be like in reality who you've already made me positionally. Help me to live out my faith and to honor what you've done in my life through saving me. Father, I pray that you would speak to to people during this time that you would have your way and your will. Lord, again, we thank you for Paul's frank words to the Corinthians because so many today can learn from these frank words. His burden over them. Father, I pray that we would be burdened over our own condition if we're too fleshly, too carnal. That we would use every opportunity you give us. That we would use an opportunity like we have coming up in the church with with master life. That we would take a step to grow. To be that spiritually minded person who's discerning and in tune with your Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.